I'm going to ask James and Ashley to come on up. I want to introduce you guys to somebody today. Come on up. And the SLT uh, board guys, wives, anybody wants to come up the, from the, that group, come on up here with me as well. We have, for the last couple of months, been, uh, come on over here next to me, man, I weren't you. We've been, we've been praying hard for uh, uh, God to direct us. We've had uh, great worship at this church. It's one of the things we've valued a, a great deal about uh, our experience together. And we've had Sam helping us and Christian helping us. And this guy came up, uh, what, about a month ago, three weeks ago, yes. and led worship. Um, uh, and to a person, every leader, uh, every staff member at our church really felt like you were the guy. The God, you were God's man and our man. And so uh, these guys, are, they just moved up here yesterday from Hillsboro. Still have the truck packed. In fact, if you want to help them unpack the truck this week, come see them afterwards. Uh, and they're still looking for a house, too, so we can pray about that. They, they have a couple of possibilities and some leads. But... Uh, they need to get settled in. They've got three adorable little girls. Uh, two of them are really adorable. One, a little terror. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. She's, I love her. She's spunky, though, isn't she? She's adorable. I love their three girls. And it's so exciting for me and for us as a church to be able to uh, embrace these guys, to love them, and to grow with them, and to see what God's going to do through them. So we want to lay hands on them and just really appoint them as our worship leaders, as our worship pastors. So let's do so. Pray with me right now. Father, thank you for what you have done already in James and Ashley and their family. For the miracle, God, the way you have directed and pulled us uh, into uh, our reality, into our experience. God, I love the way you direct things that we don't even see, that months ago you began to work, Lord, to, to direct us to this place and this time and this season for them and for us as a church. And God, I believe in you. I trust in your sovereignty. I trust in your goodness. And I know, Lord, that change is hard for some. Change is difficult for for us, Lord, I know moving is a big deal. I know getting a home and unsettling, settling in and unpacking is a big deal. God, I pray for three things. First, I pray that you would give them their peace right now, that, that as they transition into this new church and, and new home, that you would give them their peace, that it would just rest on them, that hand of God, Lord, would be on them even as our hands are on them now. God, I pray secondly that you would give them a, a home, that you would give them a place that would be just right for them and just the right neighborhood and just the right place for them and their girls and that you would bless them with the, just the, the perfect place for them to live, Lord. And then, God, I pray that your anointing, your power, your presence, your, uh, your goodness would be on them uh, as they transition here, Lord, into ministry, that, that James would lead us into this next season of our church life together as an anointed worship leader, a worship pastor who has the heart of David. So give him everything he needs to do what you've called him to do here, Lord. And we receive them and we bless them now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's give it up one more time. Thank you, guys. Well, we're going to continue today in our uh, series. We've been in Hot Button Issues. And I guess I should thank you for, for continuing to come Coming back, I realize this has been challenging for a lot of us. So far, we've looked at abortion, politics, hell, and homosexuality. And uh, we've, we've got today and two more to go. And the last two are going to be lots of fun as well as we talk about money and sex. woo yeah. So uh, I, I just want to encourage you. I want to thank you for having a heart to hear, uh, to, to listen. As I've said from the very first week, I don't expect you to agree with everything we have to say. But I do ask you to listen with an open heart, and I do ask you to guard our unity to make sure that, that your heart's in the right place. Today, we're going to tackle a hot-button issue, and it's called, Why I've Got It So Good, Why Is My Life So Bad? And why do bad things happen uh, to good people? That's something we struggle with. How many of you have ever had anything bad happen in your life? Go ahead, raise your hands. Come on. 
those of you that don't have your hands up, you're either sleeping or lying. We've all had bad things happen. Now, I will not ask you, do not raise your hand right now. But how many of you have had to struggle with something really hard in your life and you've questioned God? If God is so good, how can my life be so hard? I know I have. When I lost my grandson Phineas four years ago, I wrestled for weeks with God. I don't get how you can be so good and something so hard can happen. And some of you have been there and you wrestle with the question, why did my husband leave me for another woman? Why am I fighting this serious health issue? Why did I lose my job? Why am I broke? Why am I infertile? Why did my child or grandchild die? Or why is my son or daughter so messed up right now? I know the struggles we face. Just this last week, as Pastor Matt mentioned, we've all seen the devastation of what's happened and affected millions of people in the Northeast with Hurricane Sandy. I spoke with a guy this last uh, Tuesday whose son recently committed suicide, and he was devastated by that. Our own pastor of care, one of my heroes, a guy I love deeply, Tom Mayhew, uh, got admitted to the hospital with blood clots, and he's fine, he's home, and he's doing well, but uh, again, if you know Tom, I don't know a guy that's more like Jesus than Tom Mayhew. He's way more like Jesus than I am. And, and here you think, why? God, this guy loves you. And, and to end up in a hospital with something that really was, was scary and, and potentially life-threatening uh, was hard. And again, if you've been through it, you've wrestled with this question. If you've experienced loss or serious suffering, suffering this is a hot-button topic for you. And on more than one occasion, maybe you've even asked, how can you believe in God? How can I believe in him when there's so much suffering in our world? And when people have asked me that question, I've told them what I'm going to tell you today. The first thing you need to hear is, I don't have all the answers. If that surprises you and you don't like that, I can point you to a couple of other great churches in town. Well, the truth is, I, I'm, I am not going to be the guy or the pastor who pretends to have it all figured out and have all the answers. I wrestle with things on this side of eternity that you, you're going to wrestle with too. And until we get to be with Jesus, we are not going to see or understand everything. But I have suffered a great deal in my 55 years of life on this planet. And I have learned a few things about this topic that I want to pass on to you today. Some things I think we must remember. And here's the first one, if you're following along in your outline today. We must, not, we, we must remember we are not suffering because God has abandoned or forgotten us. This is so important because I know exactly how we feel when we're in this hard place. But we must remember that God has not abandoned or forgotten us. I know the tendency we all have when things are not going the way we want them to go or expect them to go. We begin to doubt ourselves, we doubt people, and then ultimately it seems we end up here. We doubt God, we doubt him. How could God let something like this happen? How could this take place? When my friend and uh, Whitworth uh, professor and author, Jerry Sitzer, went through some extremely difficult, he lost three generations of his family in one accident. His mom, his wife, and one of his daughters. Mom, wife, and daughter, three generations in one horrible accident with a drunk driver in Idaho. And when that happened, a lot of people said, how can something so horrible happen to somebody so awesome and great like Jerry Sitzer? We struggle with this issue. And if you're alive and breathing, you have struggled with this, or I promise you, you probably will. And even on a global level, we struggle with this issue. What do we call uh, hurricanes and horrible earthquakes? We call them what? Acts of God. We have this tendency to blame him. We, we have this desperate human need. We do. Let's just be honest to want to blame somebody for the brokenness and for the pain. And we don't like taking responsibility. We want to blame anybody, and we often end up blaming God. And we want to hold him responsible for all the world's suffering. So when life is not the way it once was, or the way we want it to be, we question God's goodness 
or we question his presence or both. Is God really good? Does God care? Is he here? We question those things because our plans are interrupted and our expectations are unmet. We all too often, and, and some of us, as a general rule, we jump to the conclusion, well, there either is no God or he must not care about me. He's ignored or forgotten me. But guys, listen to me. Nothing could be further from the truth. When we hurt, he hurts. You need to hear that this morning. When you hurt, God hurts because he is with us. If you've ever taken a child in for their shots, I remember when we took my oldest daughter Jessica in for her first shots, I remember it because it was horrifying. It was horrible. I hated it. We take you in to, for something that she needs, that's you know, good for her, a polio shot or the DPT or the SPT or the TPI, I don't know, whatever it was. But we t- took, took her in for the shot. And, you know, you, and I'm, I'm, I'm going along because my, my, my daughter's first shots and our first kid, and I was a little overly protective and worried about her a lot. And now by the second or third kid, yeah, just stick her, I don't care. But, you know, with the first kid, you know, you, you have a little bit more, uh, and so I'm there, and I remember the docs preparing this needle that was about this long. And at least it seemed that way. And he, you know, he does this thing, and then he jams it into, just sticks her into the thigh. And, and she screams, and I cry. And the doc's like, Josh, oh, you'll be fine. I'm not worried about her now. It's me. But we, we, we feel the pain of someone we love when they're hurt around us. And guys, what I want you to know is God feels your pain. Perhaps one of the biggest lies the enemy has fed us is the, is the lie that God doesn't care or that he's left us to wallow in our misery all by ourselves. That is a lie. The truth is we are not alone. We are not forgotten or abandoned by God, never. Here's the promise found in Hebrews 13:5. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And we need to land on the words never. Never will I leave you, God says. Never will I forsake you. When we hurt, he hurts. And we need to come to discover what the psalmist, what David came to discover, wrote in that very famous passage in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. David says, even when I'm in the shadow of death, and it's cold, and it's hard, and I'm scared to death, I'm not going to fear, because I know that you are with me. You're never forsaken, never abandoned. He's always with us. But let's deal with the next big question we struggle with. Well, then who is to blame? Who is to blame? Number two in your outline, God is not the cause of evil and suffering in this world. We are. Now, this one's hard to swallow, especially if you're in a hard place. We don't want to hear this. I get it. You don't like this truth. But we we need to say that God is not the cause of evil and suffering in this world. Ultimately, mankind is. We live in a broken world with broken people who choose to sin. And it's not, it's not reasonable or rational for us to blame God for mankind's choices. The truth is God created a perfect world, a perfect world. Genesis 1, from the very beginning, says this, God saw all that he made and it was very good. Not just okay, not just, well, you know, that's all right, that's all right, boy, Matt, I sure messed up on him. Oh, well, you know, that's okay. Jesus, no, it's... God says, I, I created, it was good, it's perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, he, God, is the rock. His works are perfect, perfect. And all his ways are just, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. You need to understand, God created the universe without evil and without suffering. Out of his perfection, 
He created a perfect world. So I need to be very clear about this. Let's, it's not God's will that brought evil into this world. It was our will that brought it. God created human beings to be perfect. But that included a perfect ability to make free choice, to, to choose, to freely choose. And we chose to not stay in harmony with God and his plan. And by rejecting him, we suffer the consequences of our actions. And from the beginning, and for thousands of years, we humans have chosen our own path. We do that on a regular basis. We have a consistent and tragic tendency to ignore God and his moral laws. Have you watched TV recently? Or seen anything around our, our culture? And, and how does that measure up to the God's ways and God's intent for us? And when we don't align ourselves with God's ways, then we're going to suffer. It's just basic math. When we don't line up with him, when we don't abide by his ways and his moral laws, then we will suffer the consequences of our actions. Galatians, which is a book about grace, a lot about grace. Paul wrote this in Galatians 6, 7, though. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. Don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself thinking, well, you know, God's just good, and he's going to love me, and he's going to fix everything, and, you know, God is good, and he does love you. And if we commit and submit our lives, and we'll talk about that in a moment, he will redeem things. But the truth is, we reap what we sow. Even a kid knows. If you plant carrot seeds, you're not going to grow broccoli. Why you would grow broccoli, I don't know why. Anyhow. But even a child understands that reality, that when you plant something, that's what's going to grow. Well, when we plant, when we sow disobedience, then we're going to reap that. And the hard truth is we have chosen. We have freely chosen to turn away from God. I know I have. And not just, you know, back in my 20s when I really walked away from God, I chose this week to go my own way once or twice. Anybody else? You know, I mean, I'm not asking for you to, you know, confess your sin publicly, but the truth is we are constantly in this battle, and we have to make this decision, will I go God's way or my way? And the evil and the suffering that entered in this world happened because of our separation from him, because we chose our path. We chose poorly. We walked away. Mankind walked away from God, and the result was a terrible imperfection brought about into God's perfect world. Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. His sin spread death throughout all the world, so everything began to grow old and die, for all have sinned. Earlier in the same book, in Romans 3.23, Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by the way, our sin broke God's heart, which is why he sent his son, and that's a whole other topic, a whole other issue. It's not as if we were left to our own or that God doesn't care. He does. But we have to own the fact that we are responsible. Humans have failed. We have created the world we live in. Well, some say, what about natural disasters? You can't blame that on my sin. What about those horrible things that happen that have nothing to do with us? Well, the Bible says in Genesis 3 that nature and the, the entire world was corrupted with thorns and thistles. It entered into the world, again, because of our sin. As one author put it, and I quote, because of sin, God's good creation was marred. We now live in a broken world. We are born into a world made chaotic and unfair by humanity in revolt against its creator. Like a virus, sin created chaos and confusion and corruption in our world, in our system. Now, I don't want to gross anybody out. That's not my intent. But there's a reason why we don't cook in our bathrooms 
or wash our dishes in the toilet. There's a, we instinctively, I know it's a gross thought, but I, the, it makes the point. Instinctively, we know that there's bad stuff, that there are viruses and things that can contaminate us and our world, and so we try to avoid them. And this breakdown that's happened, this contamination of our planet and of our bodies is due to the fact that we now live in a fallen and imperfect world. On this side of eternity, it is. Now, the day's coming. The good news is the day's coming when God's going to, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And everything's going to be made right. And all evil and all sin and destruction that's caused by it will be removed. But guys, we have to understand. It is imperative that we understand God is not the author of evil and suffering. Not even the suffering of natural disasters. It's time for us to own this reality. It's time for us to take responsibility. And understand that sadly, sin does not, evil does not discriminate among its victims. And that's why sometimes we think even relatively good people. Why, why would they suffer? Well, because of the poor choices made by them, by us, or by others. Now, this is a whole other issue. I'm just going to mention this. Don't have time to go here. But of course, there's evil in our world in the form of Satan and, and demonic forces as well, forces of darkness, darkness that support the, the sin choices that we've made. But what I want you to see is we can't blame the devil either. We can't say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. We chose to do it. We chose the way of darkness over the way of light. And whether it's an act of nature or a human act of choice, the buck stops right here with us. We're responsible, and it's time to stop blaming God. Well, here's the last thing. One more thing. Number three. And this one's hard to hear as well, especially if you're in the midst of it. But though suffering isn't good, and it isn't. Though suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish something good in our lives if we let him. Now, some of you are in extremely painful situations right now. And again, I am sensitive to that reality. I am not hard to that. I am not saying, suck it up, buttercup, just deal with it, you'll be fine. You know, oh, well, not at all. I ache for you. But we need to step back sometimes and have a, a, a broader, bigger perspective than we tend to have when we're focused on the, the troubles and the struggles in our lives. Paul wrote Romans 8, 28, and we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Now, notice the if-then clause. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, is another version. And it's to those who love him or are called that follow him, commit our lives to him, then the promise is God will work. And, and this is a principle that's taught here. But it's, it's consistent throughout the scriptures as well. Now, this verse, Romans 8, 28, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It does not say that all things are good. It doesn't say that. But that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Now, that doesn't mean that everything bad will someday magically be made good by God in, in our lives. Not at all. It means this, and listen carefully to me. It means that God has the power to redeem, restore, and renew, and to use whatever we're going through for something good in our lives and in the lives of others if we let him, if we'll yield our lives to him. God has the power to redeem, restore, and to renew, and to use whatever hardship we're going through for the good of someone else. I have a dear friend who asked me this painful question once. She said, how can any good come out of the fact that I was sexually abused as a child from the time I was eight to age 11? How can any good come out of that? And with tears in my eyes, I mean, I just, it just, I, you have no idea the ache I feel in my soul when I hear that. 
And with tears, I asked her, I said, has God brought you to a place of understanding about the agony of sexual abuse? Well, yeah, of course he has. I said, has he touched and brought wholeness and healing to your life? Yes, he has, and he's continuing to do so. And then I looked at her in the eye, and again, with tears, I kid you not, with tears in my eyes, I said, then can you let God, can you believe that God can use you to help others, to bless others, to actually be a, use, a, a, a ministry tool in the hand of God in the lives of others? I hate what happened to her. It was evil, absolute evil. But I know the love of God and the power of God to take even the worst thing we have experienced or that we might be experiencing right now and to use it for something good in our lives and in the lives of others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Paul said at the beginning of this letter, he said, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. And then he makes a statement about God, the nature of God, who God is. He said, he, God is the compassionate Father and, God, and the God of all comfort. God is compassionate and he is the God of all comfort. He's the one who comforts us in all Notice the word here, all our troubles. We offer the same, so that we can comfort other people who are in the very same kind of trouble we are. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Paul says God is compassionate and kind. He comforts us. He wants to heal us and bring us to wholeness and to help us. And then out of what he has done in our lives, comforting us, he wants us to in turn comfort those around us who are suffering as well. You see, God loves us so much that he can use whatever happens to bring about something good out of our lives for our benefit and for the benefit of others. Now, you're thinking, but I would really rather not go through that. Thank you very much. I know. I understand. But I also know that we live in a broken world and things happen, horrible things happen. And when they do, we can, we can reject God, we can blame God, or we can cry out to God, God, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. I hate this, but oh God, please somehow, in your ability, in your sovereign power, redeem, restore, renew, and use this in my life and the lives of others. Here's another truth about pain, is that God can use pain to draw people toward relationship with him. I'm just going to land on this briefly, but in our self-made misery, and I've been there, and so have some of you, we learn the hard way that God's ways are best, and then hopefully the idea is when we learn that lesson, we turn to him and we, we turn away from our sin. That sometimes, let's just, again, be real. We end up in a mess, in, a, in a, just a pile of mud, garbage, horrible circumstances because of poor choices we made. And God's not sending us there just because he hates us, just the opposite. He's, uh, he, that circumstance has brought us to a point where hopefully... We can turn to him. 2 Corinthians 7.10. For God sometimes, sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. Sometimes it's there to wake us up and to draw us back to reality, to relationship with him. I have a friend of mine who about uh, 20, 22 years ago now lost his business because of some illegal choices he made, lost his wife, lost his home, lost his family, lost everything. I mean, horrible experience in his life. And he was far from God when all this took place. But if you were to ask him today, would you want to go through that again? He'd say, no, but. You know what the but is? No, but. 
That is what, when I came to Jesus. That's when I cried out to God. I hated God, didn't have anything to do with God, ignored God until I was completely bankrupt, empty, and I lost everything. And then in that moment, I cried out to him. Sometimes God uses our pain to draw us to him. And there's one more thing, and this is not fun either. I'm just being real. Here's one more way that God uses our suffering and our pain in our lives. He uses it to shape and to sharpen our character and to make us more like him. Romans 3, uh, excuse me, 5, 3 to 4, says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Now, Paul ran into lots of problems and trials in his life, and he, I mean, more than you could possibly imagine, he went through shipwreck, stoning, you know, I mean, imprisoned, horrible experiences. And he says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. Well, either this guy is brain dead or he's on to something here. And he goes on, he says, they help us learn to endure. They're good for us because they develop something in us called endurance. And verse 4 says, and endurance develops strength of character in us. We, strength of character, we become more godly, like God. And character strength is our confident expectation, our hope of salvation. The Bible says, I didn't make this up, the Bible says that they, our struggles, our trials can be good for us. Part of our problem, though, is the way we define good. Let's, you know, let's just be, again, painfully clear here. Part of the problem is the way we define good. We like to define good meaning what? Easy, fun, everything's going the way we want it to go, problem-free. In our world, that's what good is. We want good to mean easy and problem-free. But with God, listen to me, with God, he's always thinking about the eternal good, not just the temporal good. He cares a lot more about your character than he does your comfort. Write it down. He does. And whether we like it or not, and we usually don't, God's end game is, is, is our improvement, our spiritual growth, our maturity, growth in our character. And I don't know why we tend to seem to learn best through hardships, but we do. Often that comes through a process that involves hardship and trials. You know, when life is easy and good and going the way we want it to go, it's fun, but I don't know how much we're really growing in our faith and our confidence and our character and our endurance. It's when it sucks, it's hard, it just is killing us that that's when we grow. We scream out, why, God, I don't understand. And we look for answers in the midst of our struggles, but God looks for change in our hearts and in our character. That's what matters most to him. So sometimes... I'm not saying every time. I, I, again, I don't have any really profound, mystical, magical insight into this in your life. But sometimes God will use the pain and the suffering in our lives to chisel away at the parts of us that need to be removed so that we can be shaped in the image of Jesus. 2011, if you were around here at East Point, you know it was a very difficult year for me. I uh, lost my stepdad, who was my dad for 25, 27 years. Loved him deeply. He died. Uh, not too long after that, my uncle, Don Bubna, who's been a mentor, was a pastor for almost 50 years. Um, I, I loved him, a hero in my life. He died. Uh, that year, uh, here at East Point, and again, most of you are aware of what we were going through, our finances were horrible, and it was a struggle, and, and every month we were, we were scr scratching by. Our church finances were difficult. And then uh, 2012 rolled around. And I remember thinking on New Year's Eve, 
2012, oh God, please never let me have another year like 2011. Well, I wish I could tell you that things got magically better, but it still was difficult for a while. And uh, I didn't even mention 2011 was also a year I had prostate cancer and had to deal with that. So it was lots of fun. So here I am saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. <clears throat> and I'm here to tell you, there are some great things that have happened in my life, even the last couple of years. But I, there have been more challenges in my life personally, in my leadership as a pastor, than I've ever experienced before. And if I could hit the, you ever, don't you wish life had a reset button? Boop, boop, boop. You know, we, if I could hit a reset button and go back, you know, and then have it all different, I, I probably would choose to do that except for this. I look back in the last year and a half, two years, and I realize how much God has done in me, how much he's changed me, how much my faith and my confidence and my hope has grown in him, how the things that get revealed when there's challenges, the, the fears, the insecurities that suck the life out of me have been exposed and, and many of them removed, and some of them he's still chipping away at and removing in my life. I watched him take some hard and bad circumstances, and he caused something good in my life. And here's the deal. I'm going to wrap this up. If we love him, if we trust him, if we are committed to his purposes, God can and will bring something good out of something bad. It's what he does. And what's the ultimate example of this, guys? Well, God took the absolute worst event in all of history, the death, the crucifixion of his son on a cross for you and me. And he made that the absolute best thing, the absolute best thing ever for us. And if God can do that, take the death of his own son and redeem that and use that to change us, then I believe he can take anything in our lives, anything we're going through, and use it to bring about something good. I've said this many times before, I'll say it again. The choice for us is will we become bitter when pain and struggle happens, or will we become better? Will we allow it to consume us and eat at us and create all this negativity, negativity and, and faithlessness and struggle, or will we, instead of becoming bitter, say, God, I don't like this, I don't understand this, I would not have chosen this, yeah, I hate this. And it's okay to tell God those things, by the way. God, I don't want this in my life right now. But, dot, dot, dot. If there's something I can grow through, if there's something you can do through this in my life and the lives of others, then Lord, I submit, I commit, I yield my life to you, and I put my hope in you. I was sitting not too long ago in my car up on the hill where I like to pray. And I... <laughs> When I got there, it was actually a fairly nice day. There were some clouds in the sky, but lots of blue sky and sunshine. And it was a gorgeous, beautiful day in Spokane. Well, as I sat there and prayed, uh, I could see dark clouds coming over the other hills towards where I was sitting. And it wasn't long before, sure enough, you know, rain starts pelting on my windshield. And uh, then the wind's blowing. And, and I'm sitting here, and here's what struck me. And I want you to think about this simple illustration because this describes so many of our lives. Moments before, I'm looking through, I had a gorgeous view of the hills and, and the sun and the blue sky and the birds singing. It was glorious. It was awesome. And then the storm came in, and my windshield is completely blocked. I couldn't see anything but water, and my, my vision was completely blocked by the storm and the darkness that came in. And I'm sitting there, and here's what I thought about. You know, that's just the way life has been so often for me. I'm 
going my own way, doing my own thing, kind of trying to just love Jesus, and all of a sudden a storm comes blowing in. And I didn't see it, I, I didn't expect it, I didn't want it, but it's there. And then my vision is obstructed. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Even though I couldn't see beyond that windshield as the rain's pelting it and the wind's blowing, did the hills suddenly go away? Did the sun suddenly go away? Were the things that I was enjoying just moments before, were they just, you know, did they evaporate or were they gone? No, of course not. The only thing to change, here it is, was my perspective. My human ability to see through a storm. It's in those moments, guys, that we have to say, God, I can't see right now. I don't get this right now. I, I, I want the pretty picture, Lord. But it's in those moments where we have to put our hope and our trust in him and say, God, help me have your eyes. Help me see from your perspective. Help me believe even when I can't see. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. In fact, with your heads bowed right now, and I, I'm just I'm going to ask you to offer the privacy to everyone else in the room. But if you're here today and you've been going through living hell, life's been hard and it's been eating your lunch, and maybe you're broken, maybe you're desperate, maybe you've even gone into bitterness right now, and you're struggling with that circumstance or multiple circumstances in your life that have overwhelmed you. Would you allow me the honor of praying for you? And the, here's what I want. Guys, my job is to pray. Your job is to respond. It's God's job to touch you. But if that's you, if I just described you in any way this morning with everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but would you put your hand up and say, yeah, Pastor Kurt, that's me. Man, you just all over the room. Yeah, it's okay. Just lift them up. Good. You can put them down now. But by raising your hand, I want you to understand that what you're saying is, God, I have been devoured by this. I do need you right now. And I need you to touch me. I need you to give me a perspective that's different, that's, uh, to help me see something in this, God, of what you can do, what you might do. Let me pray for you, Father, for those that raise their hands. Lord, I know some of their stories. I know some of the struggles. I know the kids that, that they love, that they're watching far from you, making mistakes. I know some have lost their jobs, Lord, and they're, they're at the very end of everything. I know some of their stories, Lord, but what I comfort and comforted by right now is that you know them all. You know them all. You know every detail of every part of our lives. You get it. You see it. And you have not forsaken us. You have not left us. You have not abandoned us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you wrap your arm around those that need that touch of God? Would you put your arm around them and hold them close to you right now? Lord, the psalmist said that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Be close to them right now. And whether they feel physically your presence or not, I pray that, that they would see in their mind's eye that God is sitting right here, right next to them. That God, the Holy Spirit, is right here, right now, hovering over them with his power to redeem, restore, renew, and use even the worst thing they're going through for something good. That that's, a, that's your way, God. You'll do something in the midst of this that only you can do. Whether they've been bitter, Lord, I pray that you replace that with faith and hope. 
where they've been afraid, Lord, I pray that you would give them confidence, not self-confidence, but God confidence in you. That in this moment, right here, right now, they would again breathe deeply the presence of God in their life and leave here today knowing that God is God and that he will be with them and that he will touch them and that he will walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. And then, Lord, out of the comfort I believe you're going to bring to them today, tomorrow, this week, out of the comfort you'll bring to them, Lord, I pray that you'd use them to comfort others. That when their friend goes through what they've gone through, that they'll be bold enough to speak, you know, I've been there. I've been in that cesspool. I've been in that place of brokenness, and I know God. He's here. He'll be here for you because he was there for me. Lord, may they, out of the comfort they've received from you, give comfort to those. Use us, Lord. We live in a valley. We live in a city filled with tens of thousands of broken people. And they need to hear the hope that lies within us. Give us your hope, Lord. Give us your life. And God, if there's some sitting here right now this morning, they've not started their life with you as a Christ follower. They've not even begun their journey as a, as a, as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian. Then I pray right now in this moment, Lord, they would say, yes, God, I need you. Yes, God, I want you. Yes, I need a Savior. Yes, I surrender my life to you. And if that's what you want, just say yes to him. You don't have to pray any magic prayer. There's no wand I wave over your heart. It's a choice you make. It's back to human choice. You choose. Will you say yes to him? Surrender your life to him. Embrace the gift of his grace for you. And if you want that right now, just give it to him. Give your life to him. Lord, we all give our hearts to you. Fresh and anew, we pray that you'd, your kingdom would come. Your will be done in us on earth as it is in heaven. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You guys made me cry again. Thanks. I love you. And I know that some of you still are going to leave here today wrestling with the same circumstances, but know that he's going to be there for you. We're going to give as we worship. If you're visiting a guest today, drop that communication card. If you have a prayer request, drop that in there as well to get the prayer team. Well, let's give because we love the Lord and let's worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Lord, that is our hope and our confidence that you are greater. You are our God and that you are greater than anything we face. And so help us leave here today with that confidence in you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things before you go, guys. One is if you begin your life today, made that decision to say yes to God. Tell somebody back on the tables as you walk out. It says for new Christians, got a packet, pick one of those up. Check out the Safe Family table. Please pick up some brochures. Talk to Wendy. Get the boxes as you leave. And uh, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. Thanks a lot.